Pam, three paragraphs later, he has a whole section dedicated to his Patronus. Okay. Harry Potter fan. We have a common interest. It's a whole freaking paragraph on it. And message this guy be like, do you listen to MuggleCast? Oh, he's he's a Harry and Hermione shipper. He thinks that Harry and Hermione should have gotten married. Oh, that's a red flag. Welcome to Millennial, the home of conspiracy shit beamed down from the mothership. I'm Andrew. <laughs> I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Did you read the full indictment yet, Laura? The January 6th indictment. So I'm about to um, drop a major disappointment on the panel here. I actually have not finished reading it yet. I just got busy in the last few days. That's fair. I have done a lot of reading and reporting, reading of reporting around the indictment. I was say, so, you're reporting on the reporting. indictment. Not reporting. I'm reporting here to this audience. Um, I've I've done a lot of reading, so I understand in general the contents of the indictment and that he's real fucked. I know we talked about this with the last round of indictments, but this is uh, just some real thick sickly sweet icing on the cake he's going to have a very rough uh remainder of his life i think and it makes me happy so long i feel confident in that too so long as he does not win in 2024 if he wins it's over yeah but if he doesn't it's over for him (laughs) yeah for sure i don't you know i I don't want to find ourselves in the same trap that we were in in 2016, where the prevailing narrative was he could never win. I do think it will be a lot harder for him to win this time with just his waning popularity in general, um, but also the constant trial news, indictments news, I don't think that he's somebody who's going to truly get what he deserves because of his profile and his connections. I don't know if he'll go to jail for the rest of his life, but I think that it'll be very uncomfortable to be the out and proud Trump presence that he is in the way that he was, say, in 2015, 2016. It's just going to look really different. He also has lost in the last three cycles, if you're including the midterm elections. So and I think people forget that. Like, yes, I I agree. We shouldn't get comfortable. We should assume that Trump is really going to be a formidable uh, competitor. But we also do have to keep in mind if we're having a hard time sleeping at night that Biden did just win against him two years ago, two and a half years ago. So it's it's not like people have shifted too much in their thinking when they pair up Trump and Biden so long as they're happy with the state of the country right now. And I think right now things are okay. A a year from now, it could be a very different story. But I think things have been all right lately in terms of the economy. It's it's just tough to gauge sometimes, too, because I'm sure that for you all, it's the same. You still see people that are flying newer Trump paraphernalia. It's not Mm. like, you know, the Warren in you know, make America great hats or whatever. So it's just, it's tough to kind of really get a scope for just how many people would turn out and vote for him. I would hope 
that like given all of this that's gone down in the last uh, few months that people would realize that they're basically on a sinking ship, but it's hard to tell. Yeah. So, Laura, you just wanted to share a little federal student loan update, right? Yes. So a reminder, we are coming up on the uh, pause on federal student loan payments ending. So your payments won't be due until October, but the interest is going to start accruing again in September. So you need to get ready. You need to make a plan for your repayment now. Um, Definitely make sure that you know who your loan servicer is. If you're not sure about that, you can go to the uh, government financial aid website and hopefully get pointed in the right direction that way. But after that, I've got some homework for y'all. If you haven't had a chance yet, please check out the new save plan that the Biden administration rolled out on the same day that the Supreme Court fucked us on student loan forgiveness. This is the administration's answer to the crippling student debt crisis. It's not a perfect answer, but it is a few steps in the right direction, essentially, If you only have undergraduate loans, this is going to cap your monthly repayments at 5% of your income as opposed to 10%, which is what it was previously on most income-based repayment plans. It will also stop your interest from accruing as long as you make your payments in full and on time every month. That is key. Interest is the killer with these loans. So if you can go into it, set yourself up on the save plan, it's going to um, you know, be a much lower monthly cost than what you were probably paying before, unless your income has significantly increased in the last three years. If so, congratulations. But still, percentage-wise, being capped at 5% is way better. And the fact that you won't accrue any additional interest if you make those payments in full and on time every month is huge and will actually give us all a fighting chance of being able to actually pay these fucking balances off. That's my soapbox. It's a really good tip. And I'm sure some listeners, even if they don't have federal student loans, they might know somebody who does. So they should definitely be yeah. uh, passing this information along. I went to Yosemite over the weekend, uh, or as Trump once called it, on video, Yosemite. And... <laughs> It was beautiful. It's been well documented on the show that I've turned into a bit of a national park junkie. And I had never been to Yosemite before. Quick tip for everybody, no matter what national park you're going to, get there early. And I mean before sunrise early. It pays dividends throughout the day uh, because you can get in some of the quote unquote busier items early on before people show up. Also, you have the benefit of getting to witness sunrises in a national park, which I did. I think that actually this is my first time doing that. Come to think of it. I went up to Glacier Point, one of the highest points that you can easily get to in Yosemite. And I went up there. The sun had maybe been up for like 20, 30 minutes at that point. Breathtaking. Like I literally I never experienced that. I don't think where I was just overwhelmed by the view. It was unforgettable. That's going to be like a core memory for me. I took some great pictures that I'm really happy with. So and most exciting of all, I saw a bear. I saw the video. Did you listen to it, too? No, I actually didn't. I was hoping that you would play it live on air so we could all experience it together. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) well, look, I was very excited. It was the end of my first day. I hadn't seen a bear. And um, 
I had actually went back up to Glacier Point because I thought to myself, I saw it at the start of the day. Let me see it closer to the end of the day. And it was kind of a big decision because it takes some time to drive up there. It's it's not exactly near the rest of the um, main park. So I did drive up there because I really wanted to get some different pictures. And I was coming back down and like 10, 15 minutes into going back down the mountain, I saw a bear from the safety of my own car. And thank God, because if I was like feet from a bear just walking, hiking, which I did solo once or twice, I would have done everything wrong. They tell you to like, you know, put your arms up and make a scary face to like intimidate the bear. I would have screamed. I would have cried. I would (laughs) have ran away. I would have been dead. Who would edit? (laughs) This episode would be you guys in mourning. (laughs) Pam and I would truly be live to tape. There would be no snappy editing editing happening. And didn't you say it was a baby bear too? Yeah, it was a little. Hold on, wait. That's captured in my video too. Here, let me. Um... Oh, okay. I thought that that was common knowledge. I was gonna say it's probably better you were in your car because. Gosh, it's a bear! <laughs> oh my god, a real bear! <laughs> it's a baby. That's it. That's it. That's the whole Honestly, video. <laughs> I I see a niche for you. I think that you should start a TikTok called Andy Reacts or Andrew Reacts, whatever you want. And it's just random videos of you reacting to things that strike you in your environment. And they have those voiceovers that you're mm-hmm. kind of catching off the cuff. I think kick it off with that Starlink video. <laughs> Follow it up with this baby bear video. I think you got something. Oh, this is a good idea. I like Mm -hmm. where this is going. I I was actually, I wasn't going to post it with the sound because I thought I sounded so dumb. No, you sound so cute. You're like in awe of this little baby. (laughs) (laughs) I showed it to a friend and they were like, oh, you got to post that with audio. That's funny. All right. So he talked me into it. Yeah. All right. Glad you like it. You know, I'll do whatever for the likes. If that's going to increase the like count, that sounds good to me. Do it for the show. (laughs) So anyway, highly recommend Yosemite. Not exactly easy to get to unless you're staying in the park. So keep keep that in mind. It was a good hour drive just to get in from like a hotel outside of the park, but very much worth it. And very glad I went. Some other exciting news this week. It's a bear. It's a Spotify Patreon integration. It's a little baby. You can now connect your Patreon to your Spotify app if you are a Spotify user who supports us on Patreon and you will receive After Dark, Hashing It Out and any other bonus audio content that we post on Patreon right within Spotify. Spotify has been the one holdout here. You haven't been able to get our audio content. I've been telling you all for years. Put the custom RSS feed into your favorite podcast app, except Spotify. I've always added that disclaimer. And now, finally, it's available. So we'll have instructions on Patreon if you are a Spotify user. It's just going to be a really great way for you to get our audio content without having to jump into the Patreon app. And we can't do the show without your support. So hit up patreon.com slash millennial and check out uh, our what we offer there. And if you don't want to support us through Patreon, we do have the Apple podcast subscription there as well. No matter which, you do get Mega Millennial, which is ad-free millennial and after dark at the end. All right. So let's move on to a couple of our main topics today. Have you two heard of Dates Me Docs? I've seen this on TikTok. Oh, you have? Really? Mm-hmm. Even though they've been on TikTok for a minute, the New York Times actually just did an article covering 
Date Me Docs, as well as uh, the people who make these docs. With Date Me Docs, people are turning to Google Docs and creating their own fully fleshed out dating profiles right there, right within a blank Google Doc. And they're leaving dating apps behind. They don't follow a set structure, but they tend to be plain text docs that include age, gender, sexual orientation, hobbies, interests, you know, a lot of the basics that you would see on a dating profile on, say, OkCupid or Bumble, but you're really just like in full control of what you are offering. And um, the, the Date Me docs, you know, depending on how talented you are, or if you're using some sort of template or not, they could be very clean and nicely presentable. It's basically a resume, but for people you're interested in dating. And there has been this transition to Date Me Docs because, according to a report from Morgan Stanley in April, the top dating apps saw a slump in user growth last year. So people are tired of those dating apps and they're looking for some new opportunities. Quoting again, this time from a Pew survey from February, about half of people who have used dating apps have had positive experiences. However, dissatisfaction may be growing. Last year, 46% of users said their overall experiences had been negative, which was slightly higher than 42% in 2019. So the, the number of people who are dissatisfied with those dating apps might be fed up and just, again, looking for new opportunities. Part of it might be because so many of the features are now behind the paywall. And they're also like, from what I've heard, they're filtering out who you actually see. So if somebody is like actually a good match for you based on what you've put in your profile, they're not going to show you that person unless you're shelling out some money because they're trying to make a dollar, right? I actually just saw somebody that I know tweeting about this today, and they were saying that they were thinking about getting back on the apps, but that none of them like really, like even like OkCupid has kind of switched more to like a, a swiping model, supposedly. I haven't been on there in like years, so I wouldn't quote me on that. But like apparently OkCupid won't even show you who likes you anymore unless you're paying for their premium feature. So... I think it makes sense that people are looking for alternatives that aren't going to be charging them a fee and not guaranteeing that people are actually interested in more than, you know, hooking up. I have been seeing this on Bumble BFF, which is basically Bumble, but focused on best friends. And I've spoken about this before, and I'm going to give a good update in a few minutes at the end of this segment. But same thing where it's a swipe type of app. If you swipe left, meaning I'm not interested in connecting with this person, and they have already swiped right on you, it'll tell you, oh, you missed a connection here. And then you can pay to get Bumble Premium, whatever the hell, and again, monthly subscription, and then you're you're getting to see who actually likes you. I also read, actually, in this article, I'm glad you brought this up, that because less people have been using the dating apps... The dating apps are trying to make money with user with user numbers slipping. So unfortunately, we're probably going to be seeing more and more of this where these dating apps, none of them offer even some of the basics for free. They're going to nickel and dime you to see who just swipes right on you. Here's something that's good about Date Me Docs, though. It, sh- it does show that you're really trying <laughs> if you're sitting down and starting a Google Doc from scratch. And you're trying new ideas. I feel like that says something about you, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it shows like serious intent, which is nice. You don't always know people's intentions are good. And you're giving people a lot to work with. Like you can make these date me docs as long as you want. That said, I think if I'm loading up a date me doc, it's like 10 pages long. I'm like, Jesus Christ. What is this, a federal indictment? Yeah. But like if you get to the end of that doc, that person knows that you're committed. (laughs) Right? Yeah. So it goes both ways. Yeah. And I mean, just like it goes both ways, it's the same thing to say, you, Andrew, you don't want to get involved with somebody who would sit down and write 10 pages about themselves for a date me doc. That it's good for you too. You know what you're getting into no matter what. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would make one of these, but (laughs) I, I don't begrudge anyone who does this. You know, a lot of people probably don't realize this, but as somebody who ran a website for a, a long time, I know there are tools that track very granularly exactly how people interact with a web page down to the individual user. And it'll also show you how many people make it to the bottom of a web page. And that way you can optimize for success in terms of making people get all the way to the end of a page. Uh, there's a tool called Hotjar that we uh, used to use on Hypable. It would be great, Pam, to your point about, you know, if you got to the bottom of the dock that shows you're serious, it'd be cool if you could install the Hotjar plugin <laughs> and then track. But it's a Google Doc, yeah. so you can't do that. Meg and Liza have a good question here for you. How do people promote their docs? I've actually never come across this. Did the article cover that? It did. Okay. The New York Times actually did link to a directory of Date Me Docs. Now, I will say this directory is not that large. It's probably a couple hundred, I guess. But the New York Times also admitted that it's difficult to find these and find directories because it is it is hard to discover. I'm like, where are you going to find this type of thing? So maybe um, this database that somebody made is going to grow as it continues to get more attention. It's going to be slim pickings in your particular area, but it could give you a good sense of like, how to design your own date me doc if you wanted to do that. I just love the flexibility of it, really, mm. just writing whatever the hell you want. And I do. I did like Michelle's comment, too. Not going to lie. My preferences would be swayed by the formatting in their date me doc. Yeah, 100 <laughs> percent. I would definitely judge people based on like grammar and spelling. Mm-hmm. You have to put your best foot forward. Oh, you're using clip art. I'm closing out this doc. No, thank you. That's tacky. <laughs> I would actually really like being sent one of these just because I could get a firm grasp on somebody before I actually met them. And like I said, I would be impressed by the effort they put in. Speaking of directories, Pam, I wanted to know if you're looking for love because I found you someone with a date me doc in the Bay Area. Uh, Did you vet this doc before you tried to send it to me? Does it look like a good doc? (laughs) Oh, well, the formatting's terrible. I'll say that. Then I won't even look. Well, too bad because I've been planning on reading some of it to you. <laughs> oh, please read oh, it to I me. I love the title. Yes, yeah, see, he's fun. Okay. All right. I'm not going to say his name for privacy. Okay, that's fair. I'm going to look at this too. The title is Date Me and then in parentheses or don't. And then it's got a cute picture of him on the beach posing, wearing a hat. All right. I like it so far. <laughs> hello, hello. In interest of consolidation, I've gone ahead and just captured my old OKCupid profile as it's dot 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 detailed. And this is his words. <clears throat> and hello and good tidings and welcome to my profile. Here there be dragons. So I'm thinking, all right, this guy's a freaking nerd. I like this so far. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
How do I summarize myself in a way that would please my ninth grade writing teacher? I suppose I could blah, blah, blah. I'm not obviously going to read the whole thing. But Pam, three paragraphs later, he has a whole section dedicated to his Patronus. Okay. Harry Potter fan. We have a common interest. (laughs) It's a whole friggin' paragraph on it. And message this guy be like, do you listen to Mugglecast? (laughs) God. No, Probably. please don't. Oh, he's he's a Harry and Hermione shipper. He thinks oh, that that's Harry a red and Hermione flag. should have gotten married. A red flag. All right, we're closing this out. Yeah, Never mind. That's a pass. But props for putting such a controversial tidbit in your dating profile, sir. <laughs> I see. If I saw that, I don't really have a strong opinion on that. But I would be like, okay, that's something fun to talk about over dinner in the in the Bay Area. All right, so. It sounds like Pam's not into him. It's all right. It's fine. I, I tried. <laughs> you did. I appreciate it. I mean, his his favorite books, movies, shows, music, and food section has some some uh, promising entries. That that's a big list. It is it's a big a list. Large. That's list. a long but list. There's there's some good stuff on here. Lord of the Rings. Okay, well, Andrew's game. The Revenant. Well, maybe Harry I'll Potter, this of course, later. <laughs> loves Kurt Vonnegut, Fahrenheit 451, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. This guy seems cool. Here's my red flag. This is, you know what, to your point, though, like, this is very extensive. I get what you're saying about, like, being detailed with these, so. Yeah. And it's so much, again, like, going on a date. Oh, you like The Reverend? That's one of your favorite movies? That's kind of weird. Doesn't Leonardo DiCaprio just get eaten by a bear in that one? <laughs> But speaking of Leo, I'm a Titanic girly. That's your alternate version of uh, the Yosemite. Yes. Encounter with a bear for you. <laughs> so what's your what's the red flag that you saw? Uh, the Revenant. Oh, the Revenant. Well, that's fair. <laughs> so random. I really hope he doesn't listen to this show by chance. <laughs> what if he does? Great? Like big Harry Potter. Fit? It's possible. Listen, hey, I, here's what I'm going to say, man. Um, You seem funny. And I like your your interests when it comes to your movies and and literature and things like that. Plus, you have a whole Patronus section. I I feel like you seem pretty cool. And getting a lot out of a guy is freaking rare. Yeah, am I right? Yeah. This thing <laughs> like... is ten pages long. <laughs> so he's got that going for him. Yeah, he put a lot of thought into this. I got uh, so I'm gonna give him this. Or still dissecting. So yeah, I'm very curious about this. There's a whole section he has called For Our First Date, Let's. And he says, Talk all night. I have some cool stories and some ideas to run by you, and I hope you can return the favor. Aw. That's that's, that's actually really, really nice. Yeah. That's really cute. Because that implies also that he's not going to be like talking the whole time and not letting you get a word in. I know. Yes, like if I were single, yes. man, I might reach out. <laughs> That's another good sign, Pam, in all seriousness, that they're trying to get stuff out of you too. They're going to, mm-hmm. instead of talking about themselves. That's a very good point. I totally agree. That's one of my biggest pet peeves when it comes to dating, when it's a one-sided conversation. And listeners, I'm, I'm dead serious about this. We're having fun today talking about this guy's profile, but this is inspiring me. If you want us to analyze your profile, okay, Cupid, Tinder, whatever, a date me doc, send it in if you're comfortable with that. We'll do it anonymously if if you want. We'll change your name. But I 
I don't know. Wouldn't that be fun to to talk about somebody's dating profile and give them some tips on air? Like, I a mean, listener? yeah, we have absolutely no qualifications to do that, but that would be fun. <laughs> That's not true. It's Who like has qualifications opinion. for that? It's personal opinion. Matchmakers. Oh, they just want money. We're doing it for free. <laughs> That's true. Out of love and kindness. I'm fired up today. I'm sorry. I know. You warned us before the show. <laughs> I did warn, warn Pam and Laura. It's been a bit of a yeah, stressful day. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> but no, I really would like to review somebody's dating profile. I think they'd appreciate our feedback. And I think we could just kind of get a sense of what's like how we would respond to reading some of this information in the dating profile. And they might find that helpful. We won't be mean about it. We'll just give you some constructive criticism. Yeah, that's true. Well, anyway, you know, offers out there. (laughs) Or I could just do it privately, whatever. I'll start charging people. (laughs) (laughs) You offered a free service for the show. And then you were like, actually, I need some money if you want just me to do it. If you two aren't going to do this with me, then I'm going to no, lose. No, we will. Of course, I'm we will do it with it. you. <laughs> okay, I'll do it okay, with you. Um, no, I, I do think it's funny though. Andrew is like soft launching his new side hustle. I think that's what this is, right? <laughs> that was just my attempt. Yeah, dating apps came up what 10, 15 years ago, and now, as we saw in that Pew study, people have grown increasingly tired of dating apps, and it looks like we're getting back to just like an old school almost classified ad, but one that that's very long. It's interesting to think about like these shifting trends and how things are shifting again back to more of what we were used to seeing uh, before everything was chronically online. I'm thinking too, like when we had the discussion about Gen Z buying old school film cameras to get that look. Yeah. Like, People are done with the the phone quality because it's too good. Mm-hmm. And to that point, there I saw a lot of people, like a lot of younger um, fans at the Eras tour that either had a, a digital camera with them or had a disposable camera that they were using. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I'm sure that they were taking stuff with their phones too, but it's definitely, you know, you're right. Like getting, it's hard to like replicate that look on your phone and it feels more organic when you're able to do that with you know a physical piece of technology yeah um also we've touched on this before the streamers are becoming cable tv companies with ads with bundling and the higher prices Mm -hmm. the only good thing about streaming apps right now is that you can cancel any time as opposed to traditional cable companies you know, they make you pay for, uh, you know, they make you commit to a year or two. But how long until Netflix? Yeah, you don't have to sign up for a contract. Yeah. How long till Netflix starts requiring a year long contract or something like that? Some other things that have been changing, like often movies exclusive to streaming services. They're having in theater releases for a short time. Also stepping back from social media, being more intentional, intentional about disconnecting and protecting our mental health. That's been a huge topic in recent years. Yeah. I think part of it, too, is like coming out of the pandemic. I I know everybody jokes about wanting to just like stay inside and not go out. But I I think that like even people that don't like a lot of social interaction are probably craving some of it now that we can. Because it's, you know, you don't have you don't know what you got till it's gone. Right. Yeah. 
And there's this running joke, but I think people are pretty serious too. Go outside and touch grass. Go touch grass. Oh, yeah. That's a big online thing, huh? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I'm thinking about how in recent years, there's been this shift back to local and private groups online. Mm -hmm. Just remember, like in in the glory days of MySpace and Facebook itself, Facebook.com, it was all about broadcast to the world. Just like how Twitter really still is, unless you're on private. Broadcast, broadcast, get your message out to as many people as possible, the wider web. But now, and I think Facebook's admitted this too, people have loved using the groups feature on Facebook, and there's other ones too, of course, to connect with people on a smaller scale. And I definitely feel that one. Or like group chats too. It's all about the private chats now. Yeah. Or like, I know that we all like the like the close friends feature on Instagram or the circles feature on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. So it is nice to have the option to choose, right? Because you're still kind yeah. of like able to vent, but not in a like a, a public forum setting. Like it's still public, but it's not because you can customize it. And you, you know exactly who's reading it. Right. Exactly. Really. After Dark is our Twitter circle. It is. It is our Twitter circle. (laughs) I did actually say on threads the other day, I really need a circle-like feature here on threads so I can move my private bitching from zitter to here. Because that's if... I like doing that. I like complaining Mm -hmm. about people in my Twitter circle. Um, But... And I want to fully move to threads but i can't do that because i must continue bitching in private about a variety of it's a nice little release (laughs) we all do it it feels good to get it out yeah well good luck to any of our listeners maybe this is a good opportunity for you if you're looking for a new way to um date maybe think about a date me doc throw it in this directory we'll include a link to the directory in the show notes in case you want to peruse it you can actually sort by location and what they're looking for um so it's it's pretty easy to do by the way listeners if you're wondering why laura's been silent here and there she's having issues with her internet tonight so she'll be in and out for the rest of the episode or maybe it's going to be fixed for good very soon who knows find out We'll go and check out Laura's internet situation and come right back. But first, a message from our sponsors. And then I'm going to give everybody an update on my time on Bumble BFF. All right. So we're back. And Laura, you're back for now. What the hell? (sighs) Fucking Comcast, man. We have a huge (laughs) outage in our area. Like... Of course, we have to have an outage when I'm trying to record the program. <laughs> Don't you know I'm podcasting Comcast? <laughs> Damn it, Comcast. It's very rude of them. Wanted to update everybody on my experience with Bumble BFF. So it's right within the Bumble app. A couple months ago, I told y'all I joined it to try and meet friends. Just friends. Honest to God, friends. Locally. Because coming out of the pandemic, I want to get back to doing more of that. We moved somewhere new during the pandemic. So we don't have like a big IRL friend base. And I don't need a big base. I just need some good friends. So I've been connecting with some people. I think like I said previously, it can be difficult. It's just like dating. I mentioned earlier, look at this date me doc with all this info. Some of these guys... Just like in the dating world, they're so short. They're not trying to engage in conversation with you. 
So I do have some good conversations on there. And I've I've met a couple people, but or got talking with a couple people, maybe like four at this point, but haven't actually met up with anybody yet. So went on our because Pat went to first Bumble BFF date last Aww. week with a pair of guys who are married, have Aww. moved to Vegas, moved to Vegas about a year ago, and they live nearby. So it was just like checking a lot of boxes. I was nervous going into it. I think everybody was because you're meeting somebody you've only spoken to on the internet for like a week. <laughs> it moved very, very fast. Uh, but we have plans to hang out again actually this weekend. They're coming over. Ooh, Ooh that's big. It is big. I was yeah. like, let's just, let's just, let's just do this because I'm really, really serious about this. I really want this to work. I really was want it, this to work. Were they first timers too to the Bumble BFF scene or had they done this before? No. Okay. I was like, well, why are you nervous? You've already done right, this. Right, right. It's like, <laughs> stakes are higher on my end. <laughs> Have they had luck? They've had mixed results. Actually, okay. they they were going on a couple of Bumble uh, BFF dates uh, last week. Some of them went badly. Some of them went well. And they've been friends with a couple people they've met on Bumble for a couple months. And somebody they've become really good friends with, I've been talking on Bumble with. So... Uh-huh. I'm hopeful that this friend circle is going to kind of expand yeah. with the six of us. Good. So, yeah, it's 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 all good so far. It's still stressful. It still does feel like dating because you're like, oh, what if they're going to like get tired of us or something? So no red flags, though, with your. Hmm. I didn't ask that as a way to be judgy. I asked it because Andrew and I have been friends for what, 18 years at this point? And I have several red flags. So <laughs> I'm just wanting to compare. Oh. You're not selling Andrew very well to his new BFFs. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say several red flags about me. And if you do, no. please give them to me. I thought that that's what you were implying too. <laughs> no, no, no. I have several red flags about I myself. See. I see. So yeah, so uh, honest to goodness, they're really good people. I don't have any issues. It's it's going really well. Like, but with any friendship, there might be some things we discover are annoying or whatever. But even if so, okay, that's having friends. Sometimes they suck. But they also are very, very serious too about, and in one of their words, quality friendships, quality over quantity. So I really admire that. Good. They they seem really into this idea and and making this that's work really too. Nice. So. Yeah, I feel like I got really lucky. And I said this to them, and I'm, I kind of touch on this from time to time on the show, and I'm, I'm going to sound like I'm an 80-year-old using an iPhone for the first time. It truly is amazing that you can meet people through a dating app, through a best friend app. What blows me away about it is that I never would have met these people otherwise. What, in the food store, coincidentally? And I wouldn't have talked to them. So it just... It's unbelievable. I know there's so many bad experiences out there and it's awful and really frustrating, but I would just keep that in mind, whether you're dating or looking for friends. Think about the alternative. Like, how would you have met the good eggs otherwise? I thought you were going to say back in my day, you had to start a fan site to make friends. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's how hard it was. That's how hard it was. And even then it was risky. I was like, I'm going to launch a Harry Potter fan site. Is this really going to bring me (laughs) friends? But that's how desperate I was. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it worked out in the end. It I did. Think. <laughs> it did. So, yeah, um, good stuff. I probably won't recap this often on the show. You know, this is private stuff. But uh, who knows? Maybe they'll come up in conversation. I will just add this quickly. The one guy 
He's our age. He is already retired because he was smart as fuck when it came to saving and financial planning. He's living the dream. He gave us the whole story. I am so impressed because how many people put thought into this? But this guy's been putting thought into it for like 10 years, saving, saving, saving like crazy, doing all his research. I've already gotten some great tips from him, but he's very open about it, too, which he's like, you know, we talk about this on the show. There's such a lack of financial literacy and people shouldn't be afraid to talk about it. And there needs to be more discussions about it. So, yeah. Well, and it's also because rich people gatekeep Mm -hmm. and mislead you on purpose. Yeah, it's so fucking annoying. And I love that people in our age group are comfortable being more open about it so that we can help each other. And the reason I bring that up is because it did cross my mind. Oh, maybe we could have him on the show one day so he can kind of talk through. But I'm not going to ask that anytime soon. No, you got to make sure it works out first. You know, that's going to be a red flag for him. He wants me to come on his (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Can you imagine? Dork. (laughs) Oh, my God. I don't want to ask such a thing. (laughs) Want to come on my podcast? Oh, my God. This I met this guy on Bumble BFF and it was going really well. He and his boyfriend seem super cool. But then he drops on me. This motherfucker has a podcast just like every other jackass yeah. out there. And he asked me to come on it. Right, right. <laughs> and I don't want him listening to this. I don't I don't want that. I, I want a, a, a clear line. Uh, let me tell you about me without you listening and getting like maybe the wrong idea about me on this show. <laughs> or something. How are you going to explain it when Pam and I come visit and we <laughs> hang out and they're like, how do you all know each other? He's going to say he met us on Bubble BFF too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't mind telling them that they know I do podcasts. I just haven't been like, check out Millennial. Yeah. I, I'm not. Yeah, I, I don't want to encourage that right now. It's fair. I mean, I, I operate the same way. I don't because like, you know, they're going to go listen. Got to ease people in. Right. I would. I'd freaking listen. So I'm hoping maybe they have already. They haven't told me. And that stresses me out. Anyway, I've said enough on this for now. We will move on. Pam, what's been going on in the music world the last couple of weeks? So if you've been online at all over the course of the last few weeks, you've probably heard people talking about the song Try That in a Small Town by country artist Jason Aldean. Uh, This is a very polarizing hit single for him. And last week, it finally crawled its way up to the top of the Hot 100 chart. Originally, it had debuted at number two and was beat out by BTS's Jungkook, who released a song called Seven. So, of course, like that was going to do better. But um, this song has been getting a lot of traction because of its controversy. And unfortunately, it's also a really big deal for Jason Aldean because it's his first number one hit. So, I mean, who knows if that's going to... <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. So he, he's, he's you know, been around for a while, but this is his first number one. Um, the song was actually pulled from radio and also CMT pulled the music video because it was that divisive. Uh, what's important to note here, though, is that Try That in a Small Town actually first was released in May and most people didn't pay attention to it. Uh, but it wasn't until the music video released on July 14th that this song started making headlines and people really started talking about it online. But just lyrically alone, before we get into the music video, like I said, the the subject matter of the song is really divisive. And for anyone that hasn't listened to it, I'm going to do a little bit of a favor and give you some uh, select highlights so that you don't have to go give this song more streams if you don't want to. So here's the first one. This is 
verbatim from the lyrics. Try that in a small town. See how far you make it down the road. Around here, we take care of our own. You cross that line. It won't take long for you to find out. I recommend you don't. The second set of lyrics that I've pulled from this song are, I've got a gun that my granddad gave me. They say one day they're going to round up. Well, that shit might fly in the city. Good luck. Try that in a small town. Terrifying and blunt and clear the intention. Mm -hmm. I also just wanted to point out, um, particularly after, you know, Pam, you sharing this lyric about his gun and sort of promoting the idea of gun violence, Aldine actually performed at and survived the mass shooting at the 2017 Route 91 Harvest Music Festival in Las Vegas. Do y'all remember that? Yeah, that was a big one. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. the shooter was like up in one of those high rise hotel mm-hmm. rooms. And just, mm-hmm. Yeah, just targeted people. A lot of people died and he was there and he survived. And it was very funny because he took a very interestingly apolitical stance, or at least more apolitical stance around guns following or in the aftermath of this shooting because it was something that you know, touched him directly and personally. And now it seems like he's back to spewing the gun nut rhetoric that his base so adores. And by the way, just to put a finer point on it, that Vegas shooting was one of the worst in this country. He killed 61 people. He injured 867 people, the shooter. Fired over a thousand bullets. An awful, awful shooting. You 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 live here, you drive around here, you still see people with Vegas strong bumper stickers and whatnot. I mean, the city and the country was really rocked by that shooting. And Jason Aldean was at this festival and was performing on stage. And now he's writing songs about rising up and shooting protesters. I do I do want to point out um very quickly that. Aldine did not actually write this song. He he actually doesn't write most of his music. But the point is, is that he still was fine with performing this song, recording the song and putting it on his album. Right. So it doesn't necessarily yeah. absolve him that he's not the person that's actually writing the lyrics, because, you know, when you perform something like this, you're basically endorsing the message. Right. Oh, and yeah. if the lyrics alone aren't enough to, like, kind of paint the picture of what um, the message of this song is the music video really kind of is very transparently poignant. Uh, it's very heavy on clips of vandalizing and riots and also pr- police brutality. All of this is really seemingly meant to evoke the imagery that we saw a lot of it coming out of the Black Lives Matter protests in 2020. Um, even the background setting for Aldine and his band is a little bit controversial, as a lot of people online have pointed out. Uh, Washington Post actually did a, a breakdown of this, that they actually chose to do all of the the band performance scenes in front of the Maury County Courthouse in Columbia, Tennessee, which is also a site of controversy. There were race riots that occurred there in 1946, and then also it was the site of a a lynching of an 18-year-old Black man in 1927. Um, His body was dragged by a white mob throughout the city um, at this time. So 
all of this in conjunction doesn't really paint the best picture. And even though Aldine has come out and said that, you know, um, his intention wasn't to like essentially start a race war with this song, his words and like the imagery and the lyrics are like two very opposing views here, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. And I know that one of the things that Laura pointed out really quickly when we started talking about discussing this on the show is that this gives sundown town vibes. And a lot of people have also pointed out the same online. Um, Laura, I am not from the South. I don't really have very much experience with sundown towns. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that really means and kind of share your experience? Yeah. So I spent most of my upbringing living in Forsyth County, Georgia, which is actually one of the most notorious examples of sundown towns in American history. Um, if you've never heard of a sundown town, it's because they are another very ugly part of American history that we don't like to confront. Um, sundown towns are I think most commonly known as a fixture of Jim Crow policy, wherein thousands of towns and counties across the southern United States intimidated Black people by excluding them from property rights, outright passing laws, banning their presence physically in the place, um, committing acts of violence against them, and just a litany of other deeply fucked up shit. Um, But you may be wondering if you're not familiar, why are they called sundown towns? Because in some cases, white residents in these places would be okay with Black people coming to work for them during the day. But Black people had to be outside of the town or county limits before the sun went down or risk being arrested and oftentimes worse than that. A lot of these sundown towns literally had signs on their city and county lines that said, don't let the sun set on you here, N-word. Wow. Wow. It's fucking horrific. I think it is worth noting that in the U.S., sundown policies actually date all the way back to the colonial era, and the concept of sundown towns have existed openly and covertly in all corners of the U.S., some even to this day. And another important point that I'd like to address is that any non-white person faces discrimination in sundown towns. Um, Hispanics, Asians, and Native peoples, in addition to other minority groups, have also been victimized by similar policies coast to coast. So it's not even just a Southern United States thing, although it it, you know, was and is in some cases still very prevalent here. Were y'all taught about sundown towns in school? I don't think so. I think it came up more in the context of other things. Like, for example, um, we we learned a lot about like Emmett Till when I was going to school. Right. right? Mm. And he is an example of someone who was visiting from an area of the United States where he didn't have to worry, probably. And, you know, so because he was out in a place at night that was not safe for Black people, he had a very gruesome death that should have never happened. So, yeah, that that was kind of like 
the extent of the context. I don't think we ever kind of went further than that. It was more like a footnote to larger stories. Almost like they were covering more like, quote, isolated events and not talking about the broad sweeping commonality that was Jim Crow laws post-Reconstruction era. Um, Mine was the same. And I'll get into it in a few minutes because they don't like talking about this shit in schools. Um, So to give y'all a little bit of background on Forsyth County, um, like I said, it has a very ugly history of racial cleansing that it really does not like to talk about. Um, It actually made headlines as a hotbed of racism as recently as 1987, literally the year before I was born. (laughs) Um, Oprah came down to Forsyth County when her show was brand new. It had only been on the air for like five months. Um, She came down to film a special about about Forsyth County residents being openly hostile in response to civil rights protests. Um, We can link to that footage in the show notes for anyone who's interested in seeing it, but just giving fair warning here that it is very disturbing to watch and includes uh, frequent and very comfortable usage of racial slurs from some of the participants. Um, I know, Pam, I think you watched it. I did. Um, I'm curious to get your reaction. I, to it's it. So, it was so wild to see that because you really have to put it into the context of the year, right? 1987. It's not very long ago. It's very recent history. So the fact that um, things got to that point there, where people were um, in this place protesting for keeping that community all white is crazy, right? And I'm sure, and I'm sure you'll get into this too, Laura, I'm sure that Forsyth County is still probably seeing the um, aftermath of like what that did to the community. I'm sure it's still not completely diverse as a result of what people were trying to do there in the late 80s. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, even at that time, um, it... Forsyth County may not have been officially a sundown county, um, but there were plenty of cases that have been well documented of um, people of color, mostly black people, but certainly not exclusively black people um, being, you know, violently attacked or killed in Forsyth County if they were there after dark. Um, so the after effects of some of the really bloody history I'm going to get into in a minute with y'all, um, absolutely were having a trickle down effect in 1987 and those effects are still there today. Um, but where I come into this story is that 13 years after this 1987 coverage from Oprah happened, my family moved to Forsyth County in the year 2000. Um, I was 11 and we didn't have any idea of the county's ugly history. I do remember it feeling weird how everyone seemed to be white I grew up in the South. 
I've spent the vast majority of my life in the South, but I have always lived in really diverse communities. So coming to Forsyth County, where there were no faces of color, was extremely jarring for me. I was young enough that I don't think I had, I don't think I had like the proper (laughs) understanding or vocabulary to be able to express why that was or to understand why it was because I didn't know the history. Um, But it was really moving to Forsyth and, you know, going through my adolescence and teenage years there um, where I first became cognizant of the controversies surrounding the Confederate flag, which is notable because, again, I spent most of my childhood in the South, Florida, Texas, Georgia. A lot of my family's from the South. It's not like I was immune to these conversations, but it was not until I ended up in Forsyth County, this extremely homogenous white community that the deep attachment to those kind of relics of the past and, you know, felt for the first time a deep resentment from a community that, for whatever reason, still seemed to be fighting the Civil War. Yeah, there was a lot of that. And there were so many examples that I would just see amongst my peers, sometimes even in the classroom. I in the sixth grade, uh, I had a teacher inspire us to debate about the pros and cons of the Georgia state flag having like three quarters of the Confederate flag represented on it. That was what our flag was at the time. It was like the Georgia state seal. And then the remaining three quarters was stars and bars, the Confederate battle flag. And literally had people in the class arguing that the flag was only three quarters offensive because it was only three quarters Confederate flag. And of course you hear the ridiculous justifications for it about about it being heritage, not hate. You know, people love to wear that argument on their sleeve that their attachment to the Confederacy and all of the associated imagery and to, you know, quite frankly, their racist ideologies is based on family inheritance. It's based on their heritage and their culture and not based in hate. So that was what I like moved to (laughs) when we first came here. I mean, and you can obviously you can still feel this today. Yeah. Even Mm -hmm. if you don't live there, I've done several cross country road trips towards Florida, out of Florida, around Nashville, even one time, I think to Laura's uh, family home one time. And you just see it and feel it everywhere. You go into a rest stop, even a convenience store, and you just see it everywhere. It really does feel like a whole different world. Yeah, I you know, one of the things the first time I was ever in the South um, was I was maybe about like nine years old. And my uncle and his family had just moved to uh, Plano, Texas a few years ago. So we went to visit them. And then we took this big road trip through Texas. And um, we crossed a bunch of the southern states. um, And then we 
like the final destination was Memphis, Tennessee, because my uncle wanted to take us to Graceland. He thought that would be fun. But like even at nine years old, the the part that was like strangest to me, and then also my brother, who is a few years younger, is that um, it was almost exclusively um, Black people or people of color in service industry jobs, mm-hmm. which is something that like from being from California, Northern California, it's a little bit more of a mixed bag. But if anything, you're going to probably see like more Hispanic Latinos taking those jobs. But it was like so um, strange for us in a way to see like, um, you know, like 90 percent of like the maid staff at the hotels being black, you know, or like mm-hmm. the majority of um, um, bellhops being black. And that's just something, something that we were not used to. And it felt like something out of a history textbook to kind of still see um, th- that like social hierarchy still exist in certain states for probably a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, a lot of uh, socioeconomics in the present day uh, have roots that stem back to like the Jim Crow era and, you know, certain um, groups of people in this country not being allowed to accrue that generational wealth that other people were allowed to. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that gets into exactly why Aldine's song is a dog whistle. It's a racist dog whistle. It's a dog whistle for the good old days of sundown towns because you can't put the genie back in the bottle when you unleash something like this. The trickle-down effects of Jim Crow era policies and laws still very much exist today. They look different. They may not be you know, blatantly black and white printed on paper, but the cultural norms still exist for some people. I mean, even just thinking about that 1987 Oprah episode, a lot of those people are still alive Mm -hmm. (laughs) and still live here. So to say that this is an artifact of the past and in no way affects us now is uh, disingenuous is maybe the most diplomatic way I could use to describe that. Um, But you're, you know, you're also hearkening for a time where black people literally got fucking murdered for being in the wrong place at the wrong time. I think a lot of people who like the song find it very validating. They and the song clearly clearly references stories that are often covered on Fox, you know, with protests. Yeah. I think it's a song with lyrics that people, you know, everybody in these small towns, they feel all tough. They got their guns like, yeah, that better never happen here. That can only happen in the city. Sorry if I'm mocking anybody with a southern accent. I I love all of you. But they get fired up and they're like, how dare they do that? How dare they bash in that little Caesars window? Try that in a small town. And that's why they like this song so much. It's just like it's what they've wanted to say. And now they can blast it in their car with the windows rolled down and their feet hanging out the front window. It's just like. (laughs) They yeah. they can really connect with this song in present day and what they've been seeing. They think they're seeing in the media. You know, related to that, I, I heard that some of those same people were upset because did you guys see the Montgomery brawl 
footage that happened a few days yeah. ago. I guess some people were trolling and they were, you know, saying like, try that in a small town because it, it was basically like black people deciding that they weren't going to take it anymore. And so a lot of those people that were <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, this is the best well, song were like really mad that like it was being used to kind of convey a similar point, but from the other side. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's where they're saying the quiet part out loud because they weren't in this song. This song is not speaking to the idea of people of color defending themselves in their communities. Right. That's not what it's about. And the fact that they get pissed off if somebody draws a comparison between what this song is allegedly saying and something that happens where Black people are defending themselves in their community, it it says it all. And it really goes into how coded all this language is. And I think at best, people who hold this idea of what a small town should look like when they're thinking in these terms of outsiders are not welcome here, if they come here, they're going to be in danger. They better not bring any of their city outsider stuff here or else we're going to fucking shoot them. At the very best, they do not have an understanding of the history and the implications that that mindset carries. At worst, they know exactly what it means And they're gaslighting by saying that they don't. And we can dig a little bit deeper here, if y'all will permit me into the history of Forsyth County, just to really tie a bow on this. Um, I did not learn very much about Forsyth's history until I reached adulthood. The short version of this is that in 1912, so over 100 years ago at this point, Forsyth's population was 10% Black. This is the largest Black population that Forsyth County has had in over 100 years. And it's significant because at this point in time, the county population was about 45,000 people. That same year, in 1912, a white teenager was brutally raped and murdered. And of course, when the people and law enforcement went looking for someone to blame. They immediately blamed a group of Forsyth County's Black residents and executed them horrifically and publicly. Shortly after that, because the public could not be satisfied with the fact that they had found some scapegoats to pin this on, the white community in Forsyth violently drove out every last Black man, woman, and child from the county. And after this, no Black person lived in Forsyth County for around 75 years. That's crazy. Wow. Despite growing up there, we were never taught about this in school. Never. Even though, and this is my favorite thing to point out, in eighth grade, we were required for our social studies class that year, we all had to take a course called Georgia Studies. And here we are in the fucking belly of the beast of sundown town policy. And they never mentioned any of this shit to us. We were never taught that lynchings happened in what is still to this day, the town square of downtown coming. 
We never learned that Black farmers in Forsyth County had everything taken from them or that the majority Black town of Oscarville was destroyed by rioters after its Black occupants were chased out in 1912. And to add insult to injury, the town of Oscarville is one of the towns that was flooded to create Lake Lanier in the 1950s, completely erasing its history. We learn about none of this in public schools here. And I think, again, if we're assuming the best positive intent of someone who is really down with this idea of my small town and my guns, we're going to defend ourselves from the outsiders. If you didn't know this history, I can see why you might not be able to connect the dots on this one. But the reality is there are people who are still alive right now who absolutely can connect those dots. And they're taking advantage of this kind of coded language to inspire further division and further racism. Yeah, that that's a very interesting perspective. And I will just also add that I think a lot of people and, you know, when I started thinking about this song and who's listening and connecting with it, I'm thinking about people more to the north, a lot of white people who, again, watch Fox News or people who shall go unnamed here who hate seeing these protests going on. They think it's uncalled for and just outrageous to some people I can think of. They know it's a song about what people of color are protesting. Yeah. Well, and what I would point out, too, is, as I said earlier, sundown towns and sundown policies were not exclusive to the Deep South. They happened all over the country, sea to shining sea. And I think that's an area where people might be lacking the education um, because it's, you know, I think it's fairly well known that this existed in the South, but I don't think that we do a good job educating ourselves about how pervasive this was across the country, including in the North. Yeah. And just to like wrap it all up to emphasize that, I will say that like um, in San Francisco, which is, you know, my hometown, um, there was a time where uh, the Chinese immigrants were very harshly prosecuted. And in a lot of ways, it was unsafe for them to be out uh, past sundown, too, when all of that was happening, I think, in like the yeah. late 1800s. So, um, yeah, to your point, it's not um, just like something that happens in the South, although it might be more uh, prevalent there. And it's also not something that uh, specifically only affects the Black community, although uh, they're probably like, by and large, more uh, largely affected sundown towns yeah, so for sure uh you know and i'll i'll leave y'all with this um i gave y'all a little bit of history about forsyth county in 1912 you know i mentioned that the population was 45,000 people around thereabouts 10 percent of that population was black today forsyth county's population is around 265,000 people Less than 5% of that population is Black. And that is a significant increase (laughs) just over the last few years. Why would you want to live there, a place that has such 
a bloody history and work so hard to cover it up and not fucking confront it. As a black person, why would you be comfortable being there? Me and Mark had to live up there for a while when our house was being rebuilt. And to be quite honest, even though it's much better than it was even 20 years ago, I still wasn't comfortable with him driving by himself at night. Like anytime he had to go somewhere at night, I was like, oh, I guess I'm going (laughs) because I just don't trust it. There's enough leftover clan membership in that area that I just I don't trust it. So all this shit, as I said, it's a racist dog whistle. Yeah. Mm. Is the song catchy? I can't no, figure that out. I don't think no? so. Okay. I think I, well, it's it not sounds even like catchy. any old country yeah. song. Because I'm trying to figure out why it is so popular. We know it's the lyrics, but it is, is it also the music, the song itself? And I yeah, I, I'm not convinced that it's particularly unique. It's not. <laughs> Pam said earlier you got to it wasn't written by Jason Aldean, but I still blame him entirely. His oh, name yeah. is on it. It's effectively yeah. his song. And the reason I bring that up is because when I was in Nashville a few years ago, I went to eat at Jason Altine's barn oh, restaurant never again. right there on the main. <laughs> never again. Him and Kid Rock's got a freaking bar there, too. He's awful, never again. too. Yeah, I know. I'm like, oh, I loved both of these places when I went. I was drunk off my ass and the burger at Jason Aldean's was so good. But probably just because I was drunk. I that That's probably all. <laughs> hey, it was. listen. Southern cooking is the best, and I'll say there is a lot to love about the South. But oh yeah, of course. But all of this small town bullshit is not it. Yeah, <laughs> it is yeah. not it. And also to offset, I'll just tease. Um, when we get to recommendations to offset all of this like bad country propaganda, I have a country artist recommendation that I do think that people should support. So oh, awesome. Okay. Yeah, there are some great country artists. I don't think they get enough coverage. <laughs> no, no. All right. Well, coming up in After Dark today, we are going to have a discussion about our own life path numbers. What is a life path number? Well, it tells you who you are, some people say. And Pam and Laura said to me, I actually pitched this this idea. And Laura and Pam said to me, Andrew, this is so unlike you. How did you discover the life path number? Which is a bit of a story in and of itself. But When I got my result, I was honestly shocked because it's me to a T. So we're going to we're going to discuss our results and what we think they mean. And of course, if we think they are accurate or not, that will be at patreon.com slash millennial. Of course, after you pledge, you can get our bonus audio content just like you do regular millennial through. I'm very excited to say for the first time ever, all of the podcast apps, including <laughs> Spotify, Woo! see the announcement at the top of the show. Woohoo! And uh, if you don't want to support us on Patreon, you can always do so through Apple Podcasts and you can subscribe to the show to receive bonus audio content, just like people do on Patreon right there in Apple Podcasts. No matter how you support us, whether it's telling a friend about the show, reviewing the show, supporting us on these crowdfunding platforms, continuing to listen, subscribing to the show. We really, really appreciate it, everyone. So thank you. And don't forget, we want your dating profiles. We want to review them. All right, time for recommendations. 
So I have a recommendation that is very closely tied to today's discussion. Uh, It's a book called Blood at the Root, A Racial Cleansing in America by Patrick Phillips. Patrick Phillips, uh, like me, moved to Forsyth County when he was a child and did a lot of digging through archives and historical record and speaking to residents of Forsyth County and ultimately wrote this book that is a very sobering history of the, as I called it, belly of the beast of sundown town policy. So if you're interested in learning more about the, uh, less than happy past of Forsyth County, where I grew up, I recommend reading this book. Last week, we were talking about what temperature we set our homes to during the day, overnight. And I teased that we set our thermostat to 74 degrees because I have a device that helps me stay cool overnight. And I teased it's going to be the most expensive recommendation I ever make on this podcast. It is called the eight, the number eight, sleep pod cover. So it goes over your existing mattress and it offers dual temperature zones. And this is really great for couples or even a single person um, who wants to control the temperature of their mattress. For example, I sleep cold, Pat sleeps hot. So that's a conflict when we're setting the thermostats. I set my side of the bed warmer. Pat says sets his cooler. And you have a ton of flexibility with the temperature. You can set it to whatever you want. And it can get quite hot or quite cold. It also has a lot of cool features. And this is a reason I like it too. It can monitor your heart rate, your breathing cycle, and more throughout the night. And then the following morning, you can look at a report and see how you slept. It'll actually give you a number grade, zero to 100. For example, last night, I got a score of 90. I was docked a little bit because my routine was a bit off. I went to bed a little later than I normally do. So they they monitor all that. And of course, you can go through all your sleep data. It syncs up with Apple Health and the Android health equivalent as well. So it'll all be stored securely on your phone and you can go through it whenever you want with all your other health data. And uh, it also automatically adjusts the temperature overnight too to help you sleep as well as possible. If you're in a deeper sleep, that's when um, it's supposed to be cooler or warmer. I can't remember off the top of my head right now, but it's, it's making those adjustments too to really help Make sure you get the best sleep possible. Again, we really like it. It goes right over your mattress, but all right, everybody sit down. This thing, after the referral code I'm going to give you, costs $2,095. Oh my goodness. (laughs) We financed it. So we're we're paying monthly. We're paying a thousand or sorry, we're paying a hundred dollars a month. A thousand dollars. No, no, no. A hundred dollars a month. We're splitting it. But I really, really like it. So if if you're looking to improve your sleep, if you are willing to pay monthly to pay off this thing, or maybe you got the cash on hand, maybe you're my retired friend who uh, has some money <laughs> possibly laying around. Now, see, that's why he's retired. He doesn't waste money on stuff like this. <laughs> Check it out. We'll have a link in the show notes with the referral code. You'll get a $200 discount with, with that link. 
Michelle says, I was like, fuck yes. Oh, no. <laughs> Basically, Laura and I, too. I know. I'm like, I got to start paying student loans next month. Like, Oh, and by the way, let me say something. Oh, Andrew, you're a big spender. Blah, 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 blah. This was Pat's idea. This was not my idea. He wanted this. I said, all right, let's try it. They got a 30-day return policy. And then we ended up really liking it. This wasn't me splurging for once. It was, it was Pat. I blame Pat. I have a country music recommendation for anyone that wants to maybe offset all of the bad country music out in the world. So I just wanted to recommend the artist Tyler Childers. I feel like he's a really good example of somebody in this genre that is using his platform for good. He's been very outspoken about, um, you know, being a supporter of the Black Lives Matter movement. He has an album that he put out a few years ago called Long Violent History and the titular track, which is at the end of this instrumental album, is kind of his response to that as well. So if you want to check that out, that'd be a good place to start. But um, about two weeks ago now, he released a music video for his new song called In Your Love. And it actually features a queer love story. Um, Actors Colton James and uh, I'm sorry, Colton Haynes and James Scully star in this as two coal miners in Kentucky who fall in love. And it goes from there. But yeah, just doing some great work and putting out some really great music. So highly recommend. You have any feedback about today's episode? If you want to send us a link to your dating profile to anonymously or not review, millennialshow at gmail.com is how you can do that. Or you can use the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com. You can also follow us on social media. We're Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook and threads. And then over on TikTok, we are Millennial Pod. After Dark starts in a moment for patrons and Apple Podcast subscribers. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew, a very happy Spotify user. I'm Laura. Very glad that I live inside the Atlanta perimeter now. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm Pamela, but I'm just Pamela. <laughs> I'm Pam. I'm disappointed in Andrew and Pat spending so much money on on. No, the I'm, I'm really happy pod. that this is on your budget because it sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> you two come over. Check it out. Yeah. You're going to love Laura, it. You're going to kick okay. you both out of your bed and we're going to sleep. Yeah, please do. If it means you're going to use my referral code after your trip. <laughs> sounds good to me. I'll think about it. Bye, everyone. <laughs>